Um, in January of 2018, a former gymnast named Rachel Den Hollander uh, walked into a courtroom and she confronted the man who sexually assaulted her 16 years ago. In her testimony, uh, Den Hollander told one horrific story after another of how Larry Nasser uh, degraded and humiliated and sexually injured her and other little girls, some as young as six years old. When he did this, he wasn't just robbing them of their innocence. Uh, he was robbing them also of their love for ballet uh, and gymnastics. He wasn't just scarring them physically, uh, but he was doing so also psychologically, uh, emotionally, spiritually as well. It's worth knowing that he was eventually convicted of seven counts of first-degree uh, criminal sexual conduct, and he was sentenced to 175 years in prison. But as Rachel's testimony drew to a close, uh, after naming Nasser's sin and condemning it as evil, uh, making sure that everyone present uh, uh, knew uh, its sordid cost, she did what no one else before her had done. Uh, she concluded her testimony with an offer for forgiveness. She said, I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. We're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking at this line, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And to shed some light on what it means to pray that, to be able to forgive as God has forgiven us, I'd like to read uh, to you from uh, Matthew uh, chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. This is the Gospel of Matthew, the 18th chapter, starting at the 21st verse. And uh, you can find that on the screen above. And you can also just pull it up on a Bible app. Or uh, one of those three Bibles over there uh, on the table. So this is uh, Matthew 18. Uh, verses 21 uh, to 35. Okay. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 
so also my Heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you don't forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, Pray with me, please. Uh, Father, thanks for bringing us together. Uh, Thanks for feeding us with food and also from your word. I pray you would help us to see uh, what we need to see, hear what needs to be heard, uh, that we would believe uh, Jesus and receive him uh, as our Savior. Uh, And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, my friends, there really are two things I want you to see from this text tonight. The first is the costliness of forgiveness, and the second is sort of what it takes to get the resources, the strength uh, to forgive. Costliness of uh, forgiveness, and where are we going to get the strength, uh, the resources uh, to forgive? First, I want you to see that forgiveness is costly. Look at the story that Jesus tells, uh, starting um, at verse 24. In the story that Jesus tells, there's a king who has a servant who has racked up this enormous debt. You might ask, well, just how much money are we talking about? The text says that he owed 10,000 talents. What's a talent? Well, it's not that he owes 10,000 magic tricks or he needs to play 10,000 songs with his armpit. Okay, that's not uh, what we're talking about here, right? A talent, oh no. That's all right. Can it cancel? <laughs> So hit, hit cancel. Yeah. It's on, uh, it's on Google Chrome. To the left, there you go. Boom. No problem. Um, can we find the text right now? That's all right. 24. Okay. Uh, that took some talent. Thank you for finding it. Yay. Um, yeah, it's not uh, a talent um, was a amount of gold that was roughly equivalent to 16 years worth, worth of wages. All is to say, work every day of your life for 16 years. You save every penny. You don't lose a cent. And what you end up with is a talent. Now, the servant in the story doesn't owe just one talent. He owes 10,000. In order to pay off this debt, he would have to work every single day of his life for 160,000 years. Okay, he's broke. He has gotten himself into a hole that he cannot climb out of. Now, the king is obviously upset. Uh, This is the money that has come out of his checking and savings account, right? This is the money of his that his servant has lost, mismanaged, or spent. So what does the king propose? Well, he wants to recoup his losses. So he orders that the servant and his family be sold into slavery. Furthermore, he orders that everything that this man owes, his house, his car, his baseball card collection, all of it be sold, all of it liquidated. Now, it's not going to get him 10,000 talents back, but something is better than nothing. The servant begs the king, please don't do that. Please be patient with me. I promise I'm going to pay you back. Now, if you're paying attention, you know that's a joke. There's no way this guy is paying the king back. The only way that the servant could pay the king back is if he goes on a strict diet of ramen and peanut butter and jelly. He never takes his wife and kids to Disney World and... 
He works to the ripe old age of 160,000 and maybe 66 years old. That's the only way he's able to pay this debt down. It's not going to happen. There is no way that he is able to pay the king back. And if he thinks otherwise, he's an idiot or he's delusional or he's both. The king is not fooled into thinking that this bankrupt servant is going to strike it rich. That his bankrupt servant is going to be the next Bill Gates. He is not fooled into thinking that. He doesn't say, okay, fine then, clock in and get to work, start paying me back. That's not what he says. He is not persuaded by this empty plea. He is moved to pity. The king is merciful and he is gracious. And he says to maybe the guards holding the servant, let him go, let him go, right? I will forgive his debt. I want you to pay close attention uh, to what that means. When the king says, I will forgive his debt, what he is saying is, I will absorb the cost. The king takes the financial hit of this so that the servant doesn't have to. This is the way that forgiveness works. Let's say somebody has hurt you. And let's say that the sin against you has done real damage. And the cost of that sin may be financial, but it could be more than that, right? It can be uh, physical or psychological or relational, uh, as it was for Rachel uh, Den Hollander. Sin, no matter what it is, always does damage, which is to say that sin is always costly. And if we're going to forgive sin, that means that sin and forgiving it is going to cost us. Forgiveness entails assessing the damages, uh, counting the cost of the sin that has been done, kind of like walking around a rental car and sort of taking stock of all the dings and the dents and the scratches. But then rather than charging it to the offender's account, you say, charge it to mine. Right? I will pay for it. I will absorb uh, the cost. I will swallow your debt. And that is why when you forgive, you're not just saying something like, I forgive you. You're doing something. You're taking a hit so that the offender doesn't have to. And this is why forgiving people is one of the most difficult things that you can possibly do. It's painful. It hurts, right? It's costly. When I was a kid, maybe about five years old, uh, a friend of mine named Michael came over to my house to play. Uh, We were bored, so I uh, came up with a game. Uh, My parents had parked uh, their car. It was a blue Volvo station wagon in the gravel driveway. And I proposed to Michael, what if we stood in the driveway, we picked up stones, and we threw them at the car? And the winner of this game would be the first to break a window. I drew a line in the rocks with my shoe and we stood behind the line and we stuffed our pockets with rocks and we started lobbing them uh, at the blue Volvo station wagon. And they were pinging and dinging off the car. And finally, uh, one of the windows uh, was smashed. I had won the game. And when my parents heard the sound of breaking glass, they ran outside and caught uh, Michael and I sort of red and rock-handed. I don't know... um, why I ever thought this would be a good game to play. Uh, it was stupid. 
and it was costly. Uh, Mom and dad's car now had dents uh, all over it uh, and a smashed window. And the total damage is surely added up to hundreds, if not like a thousand or more dollars. Now, to restore the car to its original pregame condition, somebody was going to have to pay the damages. Now, either I would have to pay for it or my parents would have to pay for it. But be clear, somebody would have to pay. Now, in the end, uh, my parents forgave the debt, which is to say, I broke it, but they bought it. Forgiveness did not mean that the car was magically fixed. They didn't say, I forgive you, and all of a sudden, boom, right? The car was restored. It doesn't work that way. They said, I forgive you, which meant that they were going to pay for it. I didn't have to earn them a talent's worth of allowance. Like, I didn't have to work 16 years of of my life sort of scrubbing dishes and mopping floors in order to pay this back. They wrote the check, not me. And this really is just the first point of tonight's sermon. The first thing I want you to see is that sin is costly, uh, which means that forgiveness is costly too. Forgiveness means taking a hit so somebody else doesn't have to. And this brings me to our second point, which is where are you going to get the strength uh, and the resources to be able to do this? How are you going to be able to forgive? As Mahatma Gandhi said, the weak can never forgive. Forgiveness is the attribute of the strong. It takes strength to be able to forgive. This is not something that weak people do. Sometimes we might have this image of like, oh, if somebody hits you, you if you were strong, you'd hit right back. But because you, you can't, you just forgive, right? This is a weak link. That's not true. It takes a lot of strength uh, to, to restrain yourself, to not hit back. It also takes wealth. I don't mean financial wealth. I mean sort of spiritual wealth. If you're able to pay down somebody else's debt, that means you're banking with some deep spiritual reserves, If you're able to sin against me and I'm able to pay that debt, I obviously have something in my account. Does that make sense? Where does that come from? Where do we get the strength? Where do we get the resources? Well, if you've been here for some time, you know that the first place I want to take you is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is the first place we go. Ultimately, it is the place that we go in order to learn what forgiveness is, how we forgive where we drive strength so that we can be able to forgive uh, as God forgives us. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Mary, he bears sin's punishment in our place. On the cross, Jesus takes all of our sins upon him and he absorbs the blow that our sins deserve. Our sins cause all sorts of damage in this world. And on the cross, Jesus says, I will pay the price. Charge that to my account. I will take the hit so you don't have to. I'll endure hell, in fact, so you don't have to. The reason why you and I can say to people, your sins are forgiven, your debt is paid for, it's gone, is because that is objectively true. 
God has acted in time, space, history to do that, to, to, to eliminate uh, the debt of our sins. And he hasn't just done that for some, he has done this for all. Now, if God didn't do this, if he hadn't acted in space-time history, if he didn't go to the cross and die for the sins of the world, we could say to people, your sins are forgiven, your debt is free. But that wouldn't be true. It would be wishful thinking. We'd be playing make-believe. On what basis could we say to somebody, yeah, your guilt is gone, you've been set free? If God hadn't actually done that, right, some 2,000 years ago. Fortunately for us, God did do this. It is done. It is finished. Which is why when we forgive, what we are doing is taking the objective finished work of Christ and we're just subjectively applying it to the people in our lives. We're taking something that was true and now we're just sort of applying it to our particular situation. You can think of it like this. Uh, On the cross, God like banged a giant gong and the sound of that sort of echoing like sound waves sort of scattering out in all directions, backwards as well as forwards, echoing the words, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, 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 forgiven. When we forgive others, we are echoing a forgiveness that God banged out on the cross could say even banged into the hands and feet of Jesus. We are echoing a forgiveness that was struck, right, just 2,000 years ago. That's how we can forgive. We need to know, first of all, that God died for the sins of the world. If he hadn't, what we're doing is make-believe. Secondly, right, we find the strength and power to forgive others when we realize the depths to which we have been forgiven. If you want to be able to forgive and forgive much, you need to know in your heart of hearts that you yourself have been forgiven much. As Jesus said last week, those who are forgiven much love much. Those who are forgiven love little. For those who are forgiven little love little. In order to forgive a lot of sin, you need to know that you yourself have been forgiven a lot of sin. So it's worth asking, do you know that? Do you know what a big fat sinner you are? Like how much debt you are in? How much you need God's mercy? Sin is not something that you do sometimes on a Friday or Saturday night. Sin is something that you do every single day, Monday through Sunday. Every day, whether you intend to or not, you are denting up the Volvo. You're smashing windows. You do, every t- you do damage to God and others in this world every time you cheat on a test, every time you lie to a friend, every time you tear someone to shreds with your sarcasm, every time you denigrate somebody behind their back. That cruel joke that you told, that nasty comment you left in a comment box, all of this stuff adds up. It's not just the stuff that you do, it's the stuff that you don't do as well. The damage that is done when you don't stand up to a bully. The damage that's done when you avert your eyes from hurting people or from the homeless. 
the damage that is done when you lazily put stuff in the trash instead of recycling. When you fail to love God with all of your heart and you fail to love your neighbor as yourself, it all adds up. And the weight and the debt of your sin is incalculable. The damage is widespread and it's devastating. And friends, somebody has to pay the damages. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. Like, we all deserve to go to hell. Not one of us is righteous. Not a single one of us. But that is why what I'm about to say to you is such good news. Because God tasted death and God experienced hell so you and I don't have to. You broke it. He bought it. He's paid your debt. And because he's paid your debt, you can step out of this room tonight and step into the rest of your life completely and entirely debt-free. What I'm telling you tonight is nothing less than that. What would you do if uh, somebody paid all of your college debt tonight? Like, what if you got a text on your phone right this very minute from mom and dad telling you that your college debt, whether that's $30,000 or $100,000, was gone? Would you lean over to your friend next to you and say, hey, you owe me a buck seventy for the coffee I bought you at Henderson's last week? <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> we all hope and we expect even that the experience of radical generosity like that would change and it would affect you. That an experience of radical generosity like that would want to make you become a more generous person. Being a forgiven a great debt like that would help you, we hope, right, to help you to forgive the much smaller debts that others owe you. And that is precisely why we get so upset when we read this story and we see the servant who's been forgiven this enormous sum walk out of the castle and then squeeze and choke this person who owes him 100 denarii. Right? It's horrifying. It's grotesque to see this man who has been for- forgiven so much refuse uh, to forgive somebody who owes him so little by comparison. We know that those who've been forgiven much ought to forgive much. As the, t- as the king declares in verse 32, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should, not, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? So what gives? How can this servant who has been forgiven this great debt not be changed by it? How is it possible for him to have essentially 10,000 talents wiped from his record and for him to leave and to go and not forgive other people? Well, I think the clue to answering that question really lies in verse 26. Even though this guy was billions in debt, he thought that his debt was pretty small. He thought that he could manage it, that he really didn't need to be forgiven, that he could work it off himself. Even when he's looking at the the, the balance sheet, he's like, give me time, I will pay it off. It's not that bad. He's delusional. He doesn't think he needs to be forgiven all of that much in the end. 
And this is what kind of brings us to this paradox. Some of the most critical, harsh, and unforgiving people you will ever meet are the ones who look pretty good on the surface and think that they are inherently good deep down inside. And they could be billions in debt, but they still think they're doing just fine since they didn't murder anybody this year or look at porn last night. Because I haven't murdered anybody or looked at porn in the last 24 hours, I'm pretty good. Since they don't see a lot of sin in their lives, they don't see much need for Jesus or for forgiveness. Since they don't feel forgiven much, they don't feel the need to forgive much either. By way of contrast, some of the most loving, forgiving, joy-filled people on the planet are those who look at their life and they realize, I'm not all that loving, which is why I need so much freaking forgiveness. They're joyful, not because they don't see their sin, but precisely because they do see their sin. They're keenly aware of it. The more aware they are of their sin and their debt, the more they know the depth of Jesus' love and forgiving grace. Because they know the weight of sin, they also know how liberating it is to have that weight taken off their shoulders. Consequently, they have the power to do some heavy lifting themselves. They've been set free, and having been set free, they're able to help set other people free by echoing Jesus' forgiveness. So we sometimes say, we didn't, I didn't make this up, but I say it a lot, right? Cheer up, right? You are worse than you think you are, and you are more loved than you ever imagined. Cheer up. You are worse than you think you are. You are more loved than you imagined. Knowing that gives you the strength, right, the resources to be able to extend forgiveness to -to hard-to-love people, to people, frankly, who don't deserve it, who have really forfeited. They They have forfeited their right to your love. But friends, we've done the same. There's nothing that we have done that actually deserves God's love. He gives it freely to us as a gift, as a grace. And when we realize that that's what God has done for us, it certainly helps for us to be able to pass it on. You cannot give what you don't possess. Right? You cannot give what you don't possess. But when you realize how much you've been forgiven, it becomes easier to forgive others. It just does. The third and final place that you're going to get the strength and resources to, to forgive is by joining yourself to a community that values and nurtures forgiveness. We live in a very uh, litigious society. Uh, I grew up in Northern Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C. There are tons of lawyers in Northern Virginia uh, and in Washington, D.C. I was just back there uh, two weeks ago for my grandfather's funeral. Uh, And on the Saturday of the funeral afterwards, we took Willa to a playground with my mom and stepdad uh, to let her play. And I was, as I was there, I, I noticed that the playgrounds in Northern Virginia have changed a lot in the last 30 years. They've taken away all the cool, like, wooden structures, the ones that were really fun, but also a little bit risky. And in their place, we have the most boring playgrounds. It's no fun because there's no risk. And the reason why there's no risk is because everybody who, like, essentially sets up the playgrounds or who the city that owns it, they're all afraid of being sued. 
They're all afraid somebody's going to get hurt and then somebody's going to sue them. And we will sue people for anything and for everything. We'll sue people if our, our coffee is too hot. We'll sue them if it's too cold. We'll sue people if they bump, us, uh, you know, bump into us in our cars or if they slip in front of our driveways. I'm not kidding you. I read uh, today about a guy named Richard Overton who, su- who sued Anheuser-Busch for $10,000 for false advertising. As he's drinking beer and watching TV, he's seeing a bunch of ads with people drinking Bud Light and they're on a beach and they're surrounded by bikini-clad women and he's, you know, there's the sound of ocean waves. Well, when he bought a pack of six pack, uh, bought a six pack of Budweiser, he didn't find himself magically transported to a beach surrounded by beautiful women, high-fiving everybody and having fun. He was just a dude with a six pack, right? So he sues the beer company for $10,000 claiming physical and mental injury, emotional distress, and financial loss. They didn't deliver on their promise. People will sue for anything and for everything. This is the culture uh, that we live in. If we feel the slightest slight, we will sue. We will hit back. We don't just want punishment. We want revenge. It's not an eye for an eye. It's if you take my eye, I will blow your brains out. This is the culture that we live in. If you don't make my dreams come true, I'm going to sue you for $10,000. Forgiveness simply is not valued in our society. It is seen as weak. It is seen as stupid. And we all live in this culture. So where are you as people sort of swimming in this ocean? Where are you going to get the strength, the resources to forgive? How are you going to be able to go this way when everybody else seems to be going the other direction? As I've pointed out to you tonight, that's possible when you recognize that God has forgiven the sins of the world. Two, you recognize just how much you yourself have been forgiven. And three, when you surround yourself with people who are trying to forgive others, who value forgiveness, who are trying to be faithful to Jesus and showing forgiveness to others, and who are not going to mock you when you turn the other cheek, but who are going to encourage you and say, that's right. Keep doing that. I'm proud of you. You need people in your your life who see you do the hard thing, who see you absorb the blow and don't think you're weak or stupid, but tell you the truth of who you are. You're strong and you reflect Jesus to me in this moment. Thank you. Now, where are you going to find a community like that? It's the church. That's what I'm talking about. Now, RUF is here, and we want to be a community, a community like that for you, too. But we are only here for four years of your life, the four years that, we, you, that you call college. You're going to graduate, and you're still going to need a community like this. So don't just wait till graduation. Like, why don't you start practicing this now? Why don't you uh, seek out a church now and sort of work out and exercise this habit of heart of what it means to be part of a church community, a community with people older in it, uh, older than you are and younger than you are. Um, with people who are not entirely like you, who have different backgrounds and different you know, life stories, but who all have this in common. God has forgiven them. 
And they're trying to figure out what that means and how to follow him faithfully in the here and now. Now's a great time to start. I know a bunch of you all went to Cross Point Church uh, this Sunday. That's awesome. There are other great churches here in the city uh, that, whether it's Cross Point or some other church, we would love to get you connected to one because we think that this is really important. That if you're going to be a forgiving person, if you're going to follow Jesus in the most central thing, which is loving your enemies and turning the other cheek and absorbing the debt of other people's sin, in some ways letting the evil stop with you, you're going to need a community like this to encourage you. A one that preaches the gospel to you and reminds you again and again and again, yeah, this is a true story. God made a good world. We broke it. He bought it. He paid the price for it. He did so on the cross. And consequently, you can pay down sin's damages too. It's not easy. It's hurtful. It's costly. But it's not impossible. Right? It is possible. How does this all tie in with the Lord's Prayer? Especially this line, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Well, when we look up and then we look out and finally we look in, we say, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Essentially what we are saying is, God, show us my sin more and more so that I can repent of it. Whatever might have been getting in the way of like a beautiful relationship between me and you, would you take that away? Would you blot it out? But would you not just do that for me and you? Would you also help me to do that with other people? not just vertically, but horizontally as well. We're asking that God would help us to repair relationships that we are in that have been ruined by sin, to help us uh, seek reconciliation when we're in conflict. Who do we need to ask forgiveness from? Who do we need to show forgiveness to? When we pray this prayer, we're asking God to help us to do both of these things. Forgive my sins and then help me to forgive other people in the same ways that you have forgiven me. Help me be a conduit of your grace in this world. Don't let it just stop with me. Pass it on. Would it echo through my life? That's hard. It's really, really hard. But again, that's why Jesus has given us this prayer, so that we would ask for it. And we would find, too, help in our times of need from Jesus and from each other. So we pray. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtor.